the law school of america another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. History. Constitutional. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 of the United States Constitution, the Taxing and Spending Clause, specifies Congress's power to impose taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, but Article 1, Section 8 requires that, duties, imposts and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. The Constitution specifically stated Congress' method of imposing direct taxes, by requiring Congress to distribute direct taxes in proportion to each state's population determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years, and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all other persons. It has been argued that head taxes and property taxes, slaves could be taxed as either or both, were likely to be abused, and that they bore no relation to the activities in which the federal government had a legitimate interest. The fourth clause of Section 9 therefore specifies that, no capitation or other direct tax shall be laid, unless in proportion to the census or enumeration herein before directed to be taken. Taxation was also the subject of Federalist No. 33 penned secretly by the Federalist Alexander Hamilton under the pseudonym Publius. In it, he asserts that the wording of the necessary and proper clause should serve as guidelines for the legislation of laws regarding taxation. The legislative branch is to be the judge, but any abuse of those powers of judging can be overturned by the people, whether as states or as a larger group. The courts have generally held that direct taxes are limited to taxes on people, variously called capitation, poll tax or head tax, and property. All other taxes are commonly referred to as indirect taxes, because they tax an event, rather than a person or property per se. What seemed to be a straightforward limitation on the power of the legislature based on the subject of the tax proved inexact and unclear when applied to an income tax, which can be arguably viewed either as a direct or an indirect tax. Early Federal Income Taxes the first income tax suggested in the United States was during the War of 1812. The idea for the tax was based on the British Tax Act of 1798. The British tax law applied progressive rates to income. The British tax rates ranged from 0.833% on income starting at £60 to 10% on income above £200. The tax proposal was developed in 1814. Because the Treaty of Ghent was signed in 1815, ending hostilities and the need for additional revenue, the tax was never imposed in the United States. In order to help pay for its war effort in the American Civil War, Congress imposed the first federal income tax in U.S. history through passage of the Revenue Act of 1861. The act created a flat tax of 3% on incomes above $800, $23,000 in current dollar terms. This taxation of income reflected the increasing amount of wealth held in stocks and bonds rather than property, which the federal government had taxed in the past. The Revenue Act of 1862 established the first national inheritance tax and added a progressive taxation structure to the federal income tax, implementing a tax of 5% on incomes above $10,000. Congress later further raised taxes, and by the end of the war, the income tax constituted about one-fifth of the revenue of the federal government. To collect these taxes, 
Congress created the Office of the Commissioner of Internal Revenue within the Treasury Department. The federal income tax would remain in effect until its repeal in 1872. In 1894, Democrats in Congress passed the Wilson-Gorman Tariff, which imposed the first peacetime income tax. The rate was 2% on income over $4,000, which meant fewer than 10% of households would pay any. The purpose of the income tax was to make up for revenue that would be lost by tariff reductions. In 1895 the United States Supreme Court, in its ruling in Pollock v. Farmers Loan and Trust Company, held a tax based on receipts from the use of property to be unconstitutional. The court held that taxes on rents from real estate, on interest income from personal property and other income from personal property, which includes dividend income, were treated as direct taxes on property, and therefore had to be apportioned, divided among the states based on their populations. Since apportionment of income taxes is impractical, this had the effect of prohibiting a federal tax on income from property. However, the court affirmed that the Constitution did not deny Congress the power to impose a tax on real and personal property, and it affirmed that such would be a direct tax. Due to the political difficulties of taxing individual wages without taxing income from property, a federal income tax was impractical from the time of the Pollock decision until the time of ratification of the 16th Amendment, below. Progressive Era For several years, the issue of an income tax lay unaddressed. In 1906, President Theodore Roosevelt revived the idea in his sixth annual message to Congress. He said, There is every reason why, when our next system of taxation is revised, the national government should impose a graduated inheritance tax, and, if possible, a graduated income tax. During the speech he cited the Pollock case without naming it specifically. The income tax became an issue again in Roosevelt's later speeches, including the 1907 State of the Union, and during the 1912 election campaign. Roosevelt's successor, William Howard Taft, also took up the issue of the income tax. Like Roosevelt, Taft cited the Pollock decision and gave a major speech in June 1909 regarding the income tax. One month later, Congress passed the resolution that would become the 16th Amendment. Ratification of the 16th Amendment In response, Congress proposed the 16th Amendment, ratified by the requisite number of states in 1913, which states, The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes, from whatever source derived, without apportionment among the several states, and without regard to any census or enumeration. The Supreme Court in Brushaber v. Union Pacific Railroad, 1916, indicated that the amendment did not expand the federal government's existing power to tax income, meaning profit or gain from any source, but rather removed the possibility of classifying an income tax as a direct tax on the basis of the source of the income. The amendment removed the need for the income tax to be apportioned among the states on the basis of population. Income taxes are required, however, to abide by the law of geographical uniformity. Some tax protesters and others opposed to income taxes cite what they contend is evidence that the 16th Amendment was never properly ratified, based in large part on materials sold by William J. Benson. In December 2007, Benson's defense reliance package containing his non-ratification argument which he offered for sale on the internet, was ruled by a federal court to be a fraud perpetrated by Benson that had caused needless confusion and a waste of the customers and the IRS time and resources. The court stated, Benson has failed to point to evidence that would create a genuinely disputed fact regarding whether the 16th Amendment was properly ratified or whether United States citizens are legally obligated to pay federal taxes. The Law School of America
The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America